You're listening to an exclusive soundbite series brought to you by Wired for Wonder, a proud innovation by Combank and The Moment HQ. Prepare yourself as we take you on a mini journey to reignite your curiosity, foster wonderment, and send creativity bustling through your veins. Hello and welcome to the Wired for Wonder and The Moment HQ soundbite series. I'm your host, Monica Cade. Joining me today is Dr. Fiona Kerr, who is a prominent thought leader in the fields of social cognitive neuroscience and human connectivity. Fiona is also a systems and neural complexity specialist at Adelaide University, plus a public speaker and a consultant on a range of social cognitive neuroscience areas and neuroethics. She advises a number of Australia's largest companies on how leaders can build better brains and creative organisations that can flourish. So let's dive in. Hello, Fiona. Thanks for joining me. Hi, you're welcome. So tell me, what is it that you love about the brain? I love the way that you can change it and the way that it works in some really mysterious ways and then some ways that we're figuring out as we go. But it's a, it's such a, an amazingly intricate, I guess, and also flexible part of our bodies and what fascinates me is I think of the brain as starting at the top of your head and finishing at your feet. Um, I've just done a a piece of work with our medical group on the neurophysiological effect of touch and eye gaze on healing and it's just amazing what we do in terms of our whole body is part of how we sense and read the world and how we interact with it you know our skin our heart our gut it's all part of that whole body mind brain kind of process I also love the fact that we shape it all of our lives. So we prune bits we don't use and we grow bits that we we do use. We either repurpose it or we grow brand new brain as well. So it's fascinating. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I was listening to another one of your interviews previously and you were talking about how our brain actually does that and how it goes through and prunes things that we're not using. So for our listeners now, could you just give us a little bit of a rundown? How do we change and decide what's not being used and what we want to keep? It's almost decided by what you pay attention to. So if you have something that you love, uh, something that you're interested in or something you have to get good at, Mm -hmm. then the more we pay attention to something, the more we actually synchronize neurons and the faster we get at absorbing information around that area. And we lay down thicker, I guess, um, areas in our brain, the schemata, um, and they become chunked, which is a technical term. So we get chunks of expertise. Mm-hmm. And and that's why you can get really deep knowledge because you, you grow that over time. And it means that when you need to know about something, but that kind of feeling of intuition when you're an expert in something, when, when you know, really quickly a lot of information comes back up into your mind, mm-hmm. it's because you've got this whole... Um, great big sort of box of of information around an area and it all opens at once in about a sixth of a second, you know, in your brain. Um, And we prune the things that we don't pay attention to. So we prune overnight in early sleep and we also, we prune in as little as kind of five minutes sometimes. Sometimes we have kind of glial cells that will tap on neurons and if they're just not being used, they're not firing, then they'll get cut. Mm, it's so fascinating. It's so amazing that there's all these things happening without us being completely conscious of those things taking place. 
So what about things, for example, like languages? Someone might be studying a language and then they kind of stop for a little while and then they forget about it. However, if they go back to it, sometimes there is that sense memory of things. How does it work in that situation? That's a complex question. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because one of the things that's fascinating about language is, well, there's lots of things that are fascinating about learning a language. If you, it depends partly on what you were doing in terms of learning it. So one of the ways that our brain works is to have different types of memory. So you have memory that's almost automatic and that's very much linked to your emotions. So if we have a strong positive emotional experience or a strong negative emotional experience, we'll tend to bed that down deeper and faster than something called effortful memory, which is you have to almost just learn it by rote. So that might be times tables or it might be rules around a language. And what that means is if you're, say you, you go over to France and so you're trying to learn the language in France and it also means that you're living in France, you're meeting French people, you're hearing it all the time, you're eating their lovely food mm-hmm. and you're looking at their, you know, the beautiful buildings and their countryside. It means that you're turning on multiple parts of your brain when you're doing that. So the absorption rate for you, even though the time's short for that language, is much greater. And then if you go back to that, because you will have uh, memories associated with it, hopefully positive emotions associated with it, mm-hmm. you'll have you'll have absorbed more and you'll be able to ret- you know retain and recall more as well. Whereas if you're just sitting in a classroom looking at a book and you don't interact with anyone else because interaction, that's, that's why I'm so you know, interested in, in how we connect, interaction um, increases that capability, you know, positive talking to people, um, engaging socially, changes the way that your brain works, it turns on more of those kind of, you know, trust, empathy, neurons. And so you can see why it's a complex question. It's very much dependent on which parts of your brain almost that you are, you were using in learning that that language at first, how long you wait in between, because the longer you wait, the more you kind of got to get these sort of neuron reset things that you're not using it anymore. Um, and then where you are and how you come back to, to try and use it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And you touched on emotion as well. So like, for example, say someone has had an, ex- an experience that wasn't pleasant and they have memories or or emotions that tend to come up and you know they could be feeling depressed or down or things like that can social interaction be the thing that then changes the brain for something like that there's again there's a number of things that change it certainly social interaction can um can assist in i guess dealing with traveling through those emotions uh, we also have a fascinating capacity in sleep um, to revisit what happens in later sleep is we actually replay a lot of what happens during the day but some of the areas that attach to emotion um, affect is turned off so that's one of the reasons technically why the old saying of, you know, time heals is actually true because if you keep replaying a memory which might have been sad and you're able to do that without turning on those negative emotions, it means that over time the replaying of that memory is is less sharp and less difficult. So if you, um, if you sleep on it, if you rest, 
um, if you are kind to yourself and kind of try and reconnect into different kinds of emotions when that memory comes up. And if you have other people, as you said, that are also sort of helping and assisting, then it'll help. But I think we also forget that sometimes, in a, especially in a really sad situation, like when, say, when I lost my father, you just have to get through sometimes. We, we, we tend to want to jump into sort of getting better or not worrying about it. And sometimes you, you actually have to, as a human, as a whole human, we kind of have to travel through that process as well. And it can enrich us eventually because we learn to be resilient and kind and we learn empathy for others um, while we're kind of um, softening, I guess, the, the negative parts of those emotions if we let ourselves do that. Mm. And then so what about in those same situations? Like, you know, I agree with you, you have to go through that process and then build that resilience for yourself. And over time you do that. And then sometimes in life, the same situation seems to bring up another bout of that emotion again. What happens in that situation? If you have a, a negative cycle, uh, you can get into, your brain loves patterns, so you can get into a sort of a vicious cycle instead of a virtuous cycle. So it's it's really good to think about the fact that we get what we reward. And, and just like anything else, our brain will recognize patterns, and that's what gives us our habits. So one of the things that's really good to think about is you can change that pattern, but you have to quite actively decide to do that. So if you've got this kind of you know, vicious cycle where you keep going over the same thing and you keep doing the same thing, then to switch it into a, a, a different cycle, you have to recognise that you're doing that and then you have to, um, often people will then find help about how to shift out of that cycle. But once you recognise it yourself, it's very helpful then because you can start to say, okay, I don't want to, to repeat that pattern. So what do I have to do to make it different? Hmm, that's fascinating and so interesting. And it's amazing that we have that power ourselves too. And, you know, by having our own awareness, we can make a change in that moment as well. Yes, we can. And so, you know, some people can't. The more self-aware you become, the better you are at it. And it's why, you know, older, wiser people who are very self-aware, it's why we call them wise because that high level of self-awareness means that you know many things you know what you're good at you know what you're not good at you know that other people as well you're gentler with other people because you also know that they are good at some things and not good at others and we're good at different things um, and if you can get less judgmental then it's better well for you and for everybody mm, absolutely now tell me how do you foster creativity in your life in my life mm. I remain curious um, I think that's one of the biggest things. What I noticed, uh, I, I work with some really creative companies and, and ideation fascinates me, which is the technical term for, you know, how do you come up with those completely new kind of connections across ideas um, mm. to get new ones? And very often, I don't know what I'm going to come up with. I just, I'm interested in things. So I'm interested in, <laughs> I don't know if there's anything I'm not interested in. <laughs> and, and what, what happens then, what I've learned over time, is that you get these wonderful leaps when you're not thinking about it and the oddest things connect. So, for example, I was I was just looking at the, the terrific new science around um, Alzheimer's and around the ways of treating it. 
And then I was cooking and was thinking about proteins in food and suddenly started thinking about the, the prion sort of folding in this new Alzheimer's um, work and, and started going off with a, a sort of another idea on what that might mean to do with treatment. And so you just, you just never know what's going to connect what. So being curious and allowing yourself to, to ask questions and to explore and to give something that you originally think that you're not interested in just five minutes just mm. okay I'll just listen to this for five minutes or I'll just look at this for five minutes or I'll just read this little article and it's really interesting how often you get something out of it that you never expected and you might not think about it then but it might connect into something else um, a week later a month later and I also really like allowing myself downtime so we have to let ourselves go into, I guess, what's called daydreaming mode. Because when we're always tasky, then we're forcing our brain down rabbit holes and, and making it put together sort of facts and analysis. Um, and if you're trying to do that, even in a workplace, the best thing to do, especially if you've got a complex problem or a tricky thing that you're trying to think about, is to actually disconnect from that and either have a nap or go for a walk or if you've only got five minutes just stare out the window mm. don't look at your phone <laughs> don't look at the screen <laughs> just look at the sky and the trees because what that allows your brain to do is it shifts into something called abstraction it's a completely different phase synchronization and it allows it to relax and wander around and again start to do that connecting across different bits that you had been keeping down sort of silos and very often that's when you go ah oh, that's what I'll do or that's the idea and mm. it's because you've stopped you've stopped keeping it in this kind of straight jacket and you've just allowed it the brain's amazing if you just relax and let it go because it's very good at then connecting things up and kind of bringing an answer to you if you like if you allow that to happen so we need to to really relax into that a lot more Mm, that's such a great tip for everyone, including myself, to take on board as well. And I've, I've noticed as well the moments, especially I think back to when I was in high school, our art teacher used to say the same thing. She was like, you know, if you're painting and you just can't work out what's going to happen next in this artwork, then just step away from it and come back to it. And yes. even now, you know, just I notice if I, I'm always sitting at my desk at my computer and in the moments where I stop and just look at the trees and things like that, and you just come back to everything just refreshed. Yes, you do. Yeah. Mm. And one of the problems we've got is people are so addicted to screens. So I, I talk to companies quite often about how technology sculpts your brain, and um, and very often we're not productive around them, and we're certainly not creative around them. And one of the things that I try and challenge people to do when I'm talking to them is to say the next time you're standing, have you know, waiting for a cup of coffee don't take your phone out mm. um, and if you're sitting there and you have five minutes break in your office don't go and surf the net don't look at the screen just just either talk to the person next to you which is actually the nicest thing to do for both of you and mm. um, it's a, it's just such a huge shame we always comment on the fact that if you're sitting at a bus station or you're in a line nobody's talking anymore they're all looking at their phones and we could spend all day talking about the ramifications of that, the the lack of connection. And so we message each other crazily to connect when it's much better not to look at the screen and just talk to the human being next to you. Yeah, but, but if they haven't got one, still just 
dream. Just spend that time and just let your mind wander and you will be amazed because it immediately goes into abstraction mode. But it doesn't do that if you look at your, your phone. Mm, that's such wonderful wonderful wisdom (laughs) (laughs) all right just before we finish up I'd love to ask you what do you love about Wired for Wonder Uh, I find I I do a lot of conferences I think I've got a keynote every week now until December Mm -hmm. um, and have had for the last month Wired for Wonder is good in a lot of ways as a speaker it's very well orchestrated and organized and the people that run it recognize just how much it is a journey for the speakers as well and a social kind of activity so they're really good at creating a sort of a family but for everybody that comes the level of energy and connection and excitement is really high and because everyone ends up in, in that kind of really positive zone, I also find that the questions people ask are really interesting and the the level of interest um, doesn't stop. I mean, you, you start at the, in the morning at Wired for Wonder and the sort of the three days that it takes, people just ask questions all day and all night at all events. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's really highly engaging and it's great fun. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. It was such an insightful and wonderful conversation. You're welcome. Lovely to talk to you, Monica.